Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy. I'm Derek. And man, it's good to have just you and me again back like the good old days. We've had so many guests recently, which is awesome. Fantastic. Uh, but it's cool to just get back to our roots and just have two knuckleheads just chit-chatting away about God knows what. It's kind of exciting. I'm, I'm excited, Derek. Taking it back to the old days. Classic. Kick, kicking it back, baby. So anyway, yeah, man, um, I got my kids are back in school today. <laughs> it's quiet. <laughs> no screaming, no yelling in the background. Um, Amy might be yelling in one of her meetings, but, um, you know, it's not the kids. It's not quite the same. I haven't, I haven't yeah. made a snack yet today. Mm. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, for the kids, I made a couple mm-hmm. for me, but you, you should know. get yourself a little fruit pouch just to get, get myself. I get a, you know, what we got man these little uh, mozzarella, mozzarella balls, the little like tiny mozzarella, oh. you know, the little mozzarella ball. You know, they make the, like, the big mozzarella balls, the giant ones, but yeah, they yeah. make these little packs with little tiny mozzarella balls in them. Oh man, they're so good, dude. There's nothing like a fresh mozzarella. If Ooh, we were fresh in, mozzarella, if we were in person, you know, what we should do. You'd Eat be on mozzarella. one side of the table. I'd be on the other side. I'd be just throwing mozzarella balls. You'd be trying to catch them. And then you throw them. I'd try to catch mm. them. That'd be mm. the game. Mm-mm. Delicious. Ah, mi piace la mozzarella. <laughs> e bene. E molto bene. Mi piace. Um, I Let's can't see the rest in say, Italian. I, uh, I can't remember how to say we, we eat cheese in uh, formaggio. I don't know how to say we eat, though. Comiano? No. Come a moncho. I don't know. Something like a moncho. Oh, it's been a long time since I've a little parloed, a little Italiano, you know what I'm saying? I heard you, bro. Funny story. I'm going to go off topic here, but this is hilarious. I think this is so funny. So when I was in college, I took quattro semestri d'Italiano, four semesters of Italian, right? And I had, most of the people were the same people the whole time, because uh, we all took, you know, in, in order. You had to go from one to, to four or whatever. Right on. And I had these uh, two women from... Spanish-speaking countries. One, I think, was from Mexico. Mm. The other one was from Nicaragua. And they all spoke, like, they spoke Italian, but it sounded Spanish because Spanish and Italian are so similar. The languages are very similar, like amigo, amico, uh, um, aqua, agua, very similar. Uh, Anyway, um, they spoke Italian, and it sounded Spanish, right? It's so funny. Um, And then we had these valley girls sounding like sorority girls in our class and they would speak italian and they sounded like valley girls they sounded like sorority girls like parlo italiano uh. <laughs> it's really funny anyway that just made me think of this um humans are funny and um that was a funny story that i remember from college so, uh, you told it it was funny okay so um i got something derek that I'm, I just didn't bugging me, man. Bugging me. It's been bugging me. And I just felt like maybe you could talk me off the ledge or something, or maybe you could help me figure some stuff out. Maybe you just have to so let I've been, it out, man. Just let it out, man. So I've been noticing this stuff recently, last few weeks, months, whatever. Um, this, this, like, I don't want to call it like a waterfall mindset, but just this idea that, like, everything's got to, like, take forever to get done. Like, we got an idea. And I'm just like, let's go build it. Let's go just take a, a couple of people and just smash it out, right? Um, let's get this, this like MVP out the door and we'll just test. And, it will, and and I get the feedback I get is like, well, we don't know what the requirements are yet or we don't have the budget yet and I got to go get this and I got to talk to this guy and, you know, we can't just do this, um, which I get, you know, budgets and stuff obviously are important. But this idea of like not being able to just go start stuff before you know everything, you know, it's like, and then the stuff I'm thinking of, it's not even for customers, like external, it's for like internal people to just like a tool that we would just use internally. 
And I feel like it's just one of those things. I just want to like just do it. Like just start and we'll figure out what the requirements are once you see the first pass and we can just go from there, you know? Um, not everything has to be like so clearly defined before you start. And I just, I feel like I've been seeing that a bunch, you know, I feel like, you know, I go back to my roots of like a startup where it's just like a few people and we're able to do so much. Um, and then go into his giant corporation with processes and it's just like everything has to follow the process. And I'm just like, screw the process. Let's just work. Let's just do it, man. I don't know. I'm, I, maybe I'm just being naive. And I feel like over the past few years, I don't think you're being naive. I think that over the past few years, we've been pushed to have a mindset of like moving fast, fast Mm -hmm. something, fast this, fast that, get it done fast, learn as you go, iterate, scrum, you know, agile, all this stuff like to, to, to move quickly. I don't know if we really sat back and thought about what does all that stuff really mean? What is the core of it all? Yeah. Why are we doing all this stuff to try to move fast? What's the point of it all? Maybe like taking a step back and looking at where mm-hmm. all that stuff came from would help you. I don't know. Yeah. All right. You want to take a little time machine back? I can take a little time machine. Let me uh, let me play the time machine music. All right. I was just playing on my keyboard. You can't see it unless you're looking at little, it. Uh, which you little might Wayne's be. World uh, action, if anybody. These millennials today, they probably don't even know Wayne's World is. Not oh, millennials, oh quick millennial millennials. Millennials. We're millennials, technically. So Posted yep, a picture go. of Weird Al Yankovic today on um, uh-huh. on my little uh, team chat. Uh, nobody knew who Weird Al Yankovic was. You kidding was. me, dude? Yes. Oh, my One God. person did, but it, he was in his 40s. So No freaking way. Yeah, they were like, oh, I, I don't know who it is, posting like shit's Creek. Oh. Uh, Speaking of which, dude. Last week, when uh, or last week, last month, when um, Screech died, yeah, I said some like zoinks on like on a Slack channel, and people like I was like, you know, like Screech zoinks, and they're like, who? Oh. And I was like, wait, 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 did you just ask who? Like who Screech? Yeah. Who Screech? Like you? I, I just I was speechless. I was like, I, can we just can we just proceed? Like <laughs> I can't even. I can't even. I Derek. quit. I can't. <laughs> Um, Kids today. I feel like <laughs> like Rivers in that song with yeah. the, like everybody. Oh like, right, right, right. This it's no. I mean, it isn't even tangentially related to what we were just talking about. But uh, I would like to alleviate some of your concerns. Maybe um, if we can, taking a trip down our time machine. We already played the machine. The yeah. the, the reason we were talking though is because the machine had to heat up a little bit. Yeah. So now it's yeah. kicking in. All right, you ready to press the button? I'd like to take you back to a simpler time. Simpler a time times. called. 2001. When all websites were designed with tables. (laughs) So this page here is the actual official page, which describes the history of what they call the Agile Manifesto. I've heard of it. You've heard of it. So that's good. First step. First step's hearing about it. Now let's learn about it. Okay. Uh, This is for all the kids out there and all the kids... All the older folks who feel like kids. You know kids. what's crazy? I'm just looking at this. February 11th, 2001. These guys were able to have their family go meet them at the airport when they got home at the gate. Isn't that crazy? Thinking about that? 20, 2001. 20 years ago. Unbelievable. Yeah, because it, it was before September 11th. Yeah, dude. Remember that? Nuts. When your family could go meet you at the gate? So that's that's the, that's the setting. <sighs> this is before 9-11. This is uh, a much simpler time. Airports were fun. Changed. Airports were a lot of fun. Um, 
I'm going to just kind of read this story and we'll react to it as we go, maybe just like after each paragraph. And then maybe this will give us a sense of this is kind of this is kind of why this whole thing was put into place. And then we can talk about maybe why isn't it continuing or is it? I don't know. Um, are they reaching their goal? These these uh, gentlemen, which we'll find out about in a moment. All right. On February 11th, 13th, 2001, the lodge at Snowbird Ski Resort. At the Watash Mountains <laughs> of Utah. Very specific uh, information in this. Uh, in case you wanted to go there, and I'm sure there's a signed plaque. 17 people met to talk, ski, yep. relax, and try to find some common ground. And, of course, to eat. To eat. What emerged was the Agile Software Development Manifesto. Representatives from the Extreme Programming, Scrum, DSDM, that sounds pretty naughty, Adaptive Software Development, Crystal, feature-driven development, whoa, pragmatic programming, and, and others sympathetic to the need for an alternative to documentation-driven, heavyweight software development processes convened. Can uh, we Google DSDM? What is that? I don't, I've never heard it's of a, that it's a, It's like a, a, a practice like Scrum. It's, oh, a, okay. it's similar, yeah. Um, but it'd be interesting to look at each of these at another time to see like, oh, wait a minute, why don't we do that? Because Scrum is the one that kind of survived. Extreme programming is eh, kind of some people talk about, man, it would be really cool if we did extreme. extreme. Pro- I just imagine people drinking a lot of Mountain Dew. Yeah, they have to. They extreme. Yeah, it's yeah. part of it. It's in the it's in the manifesto for extreme programming. Um, uh, only, uh, do the do. only, extreme. only Mountain Dew, Mountain Ice, that, that, <laughs> that flavor. It's blue. Only, only the blue one, right? I was yeah. <laughs> so it's a, they say now a bigger gathering of organizational anarchists. Woo. Would be hard to find, which is funny. Like anarchists wouldn't want um, like principles, right? I mean, anarchists would just be like, "Whatever goes." I know you'd think you'd think, uh, uh, but yeah, that's right. Because organizational anarchists, you'd think they would be against the organization. Whatever. Um, <laughs> well, it's, <laughs> I, mean I guess anar- anarchists would still have a manifesto, though, right? Yeah, you got a manifest. So, what emerged uh, from this meeting was symbolic—a manifesto for software. Agile software development, signed by all participants. The only concern with the term agile came from Martin Fowler. He's actually a really, really famous architect, works for ThoughtWorks. He's a Brit, okay. for those who don't know him. <laughs> that's, all they, that's all they wrote. He's a Brit. <laughs> Is that really what it says? Just, just a Brit. A Brit, for those who don't know him. That's pretty okay. funny. He's um, a Brit in it. He's more than just a Brit. I'm gonna I'm gonna write him. I'm gonna write him and say, look, I read your I read the history of the Agile Manifesto. You're more than just a Brit. You're more than just a Brit to me. Martin Fowler, who allowed that most who allowed, yeah, who allowed that most Americans didn't know how to pronounce the word agile. Oh, agile. Agile. Yeah. Agile? So he he probably pronounced it differently than Americans do. Agile. <laughs> I get agile. 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 I can't pronounce agile, it. Like, agile. Martin yeah, has a special way. Um, I'll, in fact, if we ever interview him, we'll have to ask him. If we get Martin Fowler on this show, I'm buying. I'm buying a. Uh, a uh, what did we? Li- we live in Cincinnati, so I'm buying a um, ski suit. Chili. Expensive Skyline? ski Chili? suit. Oh, okay. Um, um, we should give him. We should send everyone on this list a Peak Software shit sticker. Ooh, I like that. I like <laughs> entice him. Um, <laughs> Come on the show. There's more where that came from. So it says a little bit about another guy, Alex Alistair Coburn. His it's pronounced. It's spelled Cockburn. Okay. Get your giggles out. 
Oh, okay, um, I got but, my giggles up. Yeah, uh, it's, it's pronounced Coburn, or so he says. I imagine he's a sir. Is he not a sir? Sir Alistair Coburn. He's got to be. A... If we ever interview him, we're going to re- respond to him so that way the whole what's time. What's weird is like this is the most British name out of anyone on this list, and it doesn't mention him being a Brit, which is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> His parents oh, must be British. They left that part out Who names a kid one, Alistair yeah. if they're not British? I mean, it's just a. Alistair. Anyway. Yeah, and maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Good question. Um, his concerns reflected the thoughts of many participants. He said, I personally didn't expect this particular group of agilists to ever agree on anything substantive. That's what he said. But his post-meeting feelings were also shared. Speaking for myself, I am delighted by the final phrasing of the manifesto. I was surprised that the others appeared equally delighted by the final phrasing. So, we did agree on something. Substantive. Oh, okay. Um I like to say substantiative mm-hmm. a lot. I say it a lot. Um, it's wrong. Naming ourselves the Agile Alliance. This is interesting. So this is actually really interesting. Naming ourselves the Agile Alliance, this group of independent thinkers about software development and sometimes competitors to each other. So that so these different techniques, Scrum, uh, Crystal and stuff, like some of them had like uh, you could pay for training. Oh right, and right. so they're com- they're competitors in the fact that like each of them had their own little technique to, to hence the certified scrum master yeah courses and staying okay yeah that's a whole other thing um we'll get into that another time I'll have a beer and talk to you how I feel about the certified scrum master um anyway this group of independent thinkers sometimes competitors agreed on the the whole thing so. It says, but while the, this is really important, I think, but while the manifesto provides some specific ideas, there's a deeper theme that drives many, but not all, to be sure, members of the Alliance. At the close of the two-day meeting, Bob Martin, hey, Uncle Bob, Bob. joked that he was about to make a mushy statement. But what tinged with humor, few disagreed with Bob's sentiments that we all felt privileged to work with a group of people who held a set of compatible values, a set of values based on trust and respect for each other and promoting organizational models based on people, collaboration, and building the types of organizational communities in which we would want to work. So this is really interesting. So you have a problem right now where Mm -hmm. in some instances, you're in an organization where you don't feel like a fit. Because you want to move quickly, and a lot of the things around you want to move slowly. Mm-hmm. Getting, but what these guys did is they got enough people together that were like-minded, and this was actually a huge influence. This Agile Manifesto on a lot of different things, good or bad, it was heavily influential. So I wonder if just by reading enough of this, this much of this thing, the idea that getting like-minded people together to just talk about what's wrong, what's going on. Why are we not able to move faster? What is the problem here? Maybe that's, maybe that's a start, Mm. you know, angry people in company X who can't figure out why things are so damn slow and just make that all an acronym. Yeah. And then we could sell certifications. Yeah. Yeah. $500 a pop. Um, yeah. It's cheap. Five thousand if we have to travel. Yeah, right. Yeah, obviously I need to, I need the presidential suite. Yeah, yeah. So um, I know that's interesting, man. So um, you know, in this case, I don't know. I don't have much sway over much of the other people in my organization. You know, um, most of them are pretty high up, and 
you know, directors of some kind, VPs, et cetera, et cetera. PBs. Um, yeah, PBs, VPs. But yeah, so the, um, you know, I don't know. For me, it's it's just kind of interesting seeing where this came from, but I don't know. Tell me more, Derek. I'll tell you more. Let's talk about what it actually is, like what this manifesto, like what they came up with, because they said they were all appreciative of it and they all thought it was really cool. Let's see if they're right. So I guess at the top of it, they say we're we're uncovering better ways of developing software by doing it and helping others do it. But that's like, that's pretty open-ended. Um, but it's the doing it part. They're not, they're not uncovering better ways of developing software by writing documentation or or allocating budget you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. that's that's not going to build better software and and the the core like i think there were four principles or something and then there's a whole list of other garbage but it's like individuals and interactions over processes and tools that's Mm -hmm. you're all about that working software over comprehensive documentation you were just talking about that Mm -hmm. customer collaboration over contract negotiation that feels like that feels like budgets Responding to change over following a plan. How you feel always about plan, that, Jeremy? Man. How you feel about that? Always a plan. Yeah, it's always energized. a plan till you get punched in the face, you know? That's what they say. That's what they say. Fight Club. So it's it's satisfying the customer through early and continuous delivery of software. That's kind of, I mean, early delivery of software. That's what you keep talking about. It's like things take so damn long to get to the like the first user customer gets to see it. They don't write yeah. user here, I think, because that's what drug dealers deal to. Um, <laughs> um, we're not trying to get people addicted to our software. Well, maybe we are. Some of us are. Facebook. Depends. Um, welcome changing requirements, even late in development. That is, mm-hmm. I, I thought about that a lot on a few projects that I've been on. Everybody gets so mad when, you know, you get, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, I was asking, why? Who cares? Just I mean, what difference does it make? You're still getting paid. Why Why does it matter if you change up the requirement? You know, if you start over, so what? <laughs> right. I mean, it's not like you have to, I mean, unless you're getting paid based on the project completion. But I mean, most people at, at a job or not, I mean, you're still getting paid. What What difference does it make if it changes? I, I never really understood what people, I mean, yes, it's kind of like frustrating. The work you did may or may not be applicable, but um you know, to the new thing, but Jesus, who cares? <laughs> Why fight it? I know. If that's I the mean, requirement, it's the requirement. Well, it's also, it happened. Like, there's no reason to get upset. It's like, yeah. you know what this reminds me of? You ever go on a trip and everything's planned to the T and it's the worst trip yes. ever? You know what I'm talking about? It's like going to Disney World. Like <laughs> for me. Jeremy does not like Disney World. With like, you're planning when you have to go to the stupid ride because you have to schedule like, I'm going to be at Thunder Mountain at 10.33 a.m. on Thursday and you got to, you know, like to get your stupid fast pass thing. It's what if, what if it was just, we're going to, we know we have to get to this place. We know when mm-hmm. other people are going to meet us like for, for some event, but otherwise mm-hmm. let's just see what happens. Just chill at the pool, man. Yeah, just you chill know? at the pool. That's what you want to do, pool. chill at the pool. In that instance, your customers are your family or whoever you're going right. with. Yeah, you, you, exactly. you, you're, you'll have more fun and have like a better experience doing the thing, building the software, going to the going to the beach or, well, I remember beaches. Anyway, a mm. tear almost ran down my face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been cold up here. But um, all Chilly. that stuff, it's like... It's 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 all kind of the same vibe. I think about that when we plan trips. I'm like, no, no, no don't plan out every little thing. Like, mm-hmm. and then what's the fun in that? 
But what's the fun? No, and fun I think it kind of it kind of ties in because you have to have some sort of idea of what you want to do, mm-hmm. but build something quick. Like you're talking about, like just go build the fastest. Well, thing you, you know where I think there's a lot of pushback. You just mentioned this, uh, like where's the fun in planning? I think some people enjoy that. I really do. <sighs> like people enjoy planning for Disney trips, and the same thing I think applies right. to software. That's people's jobs at a lot of companies is to that's all you do is to plan for the software. And so if someone's not planning for the software, you suddenly just, you know, ruled out their entire job. So And so they feel like, you know, well, what am I supposed to do if that's my job to to plan and budget, but you don't need the plan and budget. What am I doing? You know? Right. Have you ever seen the movie Scrooged with Bill Murray? I have, yes. Great There's movie. a point in the movie at which he tells his the person that he's uh his like assistant, um I have to work late. And she goes, I have to go. He's like, no, you have to work late. And, and she goes, well, why do I have to work late? Because if, if you can't work late, then I can't work late. And if I can't work late, I can't work late. Um, <laughs> it reminds me of like, like if you just replace work late with plan. Yeah. Um, that's exactly like, if you don't, if you don't yeah. plan, then I can't plan. Well, you know, I, I, mean, don't I, plan, I can't plan. Yeah, I think this might be the one thing that about Agile Manifesto that that I think I have some issues with, but I think it's how you how you relate it back to work. I mean, you have to plan right. for things if there are dependencies, if there are cross cross app dependencies, things like you can't just start building and then you know at the last minute decide to oh well, we need this integration, so let's rewrite all the crap we built because we didn't think about the needed integration before. So there's a bit of planning involved, obviously, but when it's like a a quick little thing, a thing that just like, just just put it out there and just see and test. It's like this idea that we talked about before with MVP. Mm-hmm. You have your MVP, which is meant to be a, a, an experiment. It's meant to be something that can be thrown away if you decide that it was wrong or, or it, it, you know, it's not meant to be the foundation for the thing you're going to be using in 10 years, you know? Yeah. Um, because the thing in 10 years should not be the thing you're building today. You should hopefully by then something has changed. But, um, you know, I think the way that we've maybe approached Agile, at least the people who are uh, take it as gospel, like we can't plan anything. Like, no, that's not – it's it's the software part of it, like getting in there and just building the stuff. But there has to be some bit of planning. I mean UX and stuff isn't mentioned anywhere in here, right? The interaction design – design in general is not mentioned anywhere in here. Um, mostly because I would say Agile is one aspect of a larger software process. So there has to be some bit of research, some bit of investigation, some bit of validation before you even bother starting. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You made me rethink a lot of this stuff when we started working together. You came from uh, a, a bunch of companies that were basically either moving too fast or every time that they try something like this, it would just be a big unmitigated disaster because they wouldn't, mm. they wouldn't, they would just go right into building the software and not try to mm-hmm. figure out, are we even, is this even worth it, you know, or whatever the situation was. So, the, the problem I have with the plan, isn't the planning. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that once the plan is in place, it almost feels like a measure of success for people, like. We have the plan. Now we're almost there. Mm-hmm. Like you haven't even started yet. Yeah. Your plan gives you, it basically like it gives you the layout of what the town's going to look like. Like now you have to go build the town. Yeah. It's like you haven't even started, but you have a picture of what you, what 
what success could look like, if that yeah. makes any sense. You know, I think for me, I, I guess like where I'm coming from too is a place of naive, naivete. naivete. You know, I'm not involved with budgets. I'm not involved with, with resource planning. I'm not involved with any of that. So I'm coming from just like, just give me a person and let me build this thing. I know it's so easy like in my head. This, this thing that I want to build is so simple. You know, it's a couple of pages and it's just like a dashboard of sorts with some data that's pulling from another system. It's read only, you know, there's no like stuff going back and forth. Um, and to me, it's so simple. But, you know, I'm also being very naive in that I assume a person is that simple to get. All right. So, you if know, you came right. To I me, mean, like, yeah. it's not that especially the bigger the company, the harder it is to just get a person. <laughs> you if know? you came to me with that request and you told me what you wanted to do, like some simple project. Um, I'd have to ask you a million questions. I'd have to ask you, who's going to be using the system? Is it people outside of the company, people inside the company? What kind of authentication do they need? What kind of system? Yeah. Do we need a database? Oh, it needs to be federated. Does it need to be vaulted? Is it AC data? Is it anything? Like, yeah. all this stuff is stuff that we have to be okay with those changing our plans. Mm-hmm. I think that's where, like, you can operate this way and have this mindset, but... It feels so slow, and maybe that's what the problem is. Maybe it feels yeah. so slow because everything that all the questions we need answers to make things like complicated, more complicated. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, so I, I man, it's crazy because like the company we work for is so big, and everything is just so like rigor. Uh, there's so much rigor around everything, right? For certain mm-hmm. reasons, and that's fair. Um, and I, I feel like. Sometimes that's certainly something where you got to plan, you got to do this, you got to do that, whatever, you got to get the budgets because it's a big thing, blah, blah, blah. But so often I feel like we we just treat everything that way when some of the stuff we need to do could be done so f- quickly and easily mm-hmm. if we just kept the team small, let them just give them a problem to solve, let them figure it out and just go and do the thing. You know, and I, I know that's so naive. It's so naive. So, to, I know, know that because that's just not possible. But, you know, but I guess then I go back like, why is it not possible? It's only it's only not possible because that's the way our process is set up, you know? Yeah. Uh, being, and I don't know how to I don't know. I don't yeah, have the answer, obviously. But I think you're being told a lot of things from what I would consider like middle managers. Maybe not high up leaders. Not people uh-huh. who run the organization, not people higher than that. People at at the level of like CIO and above and all this stuff, they have the same mindset you do. Why is it so complicated? Yeah, It's just two pages. Just go figure it out. They think yeah. their people are very smart and can figure these things out, tie the pieces together, get it done. Um, once it gets to the middle, the middle doesn't want to upset the top. Mm-hmm. And so it has to ask the people who need things a bazillion questions so they don't get, you know, yelled at for doing the wrong thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's part yeah. of it too. It's I like, I mean, you know, but politics. then again, I mean, I'm not, I'm not in this person's shoes. So I, who knows what, what constraints they're actually working with. So, you know, it I, might and be just I, asking too, like yeah. this scene, you know, you know what too, a lot of, for the people listening to this podcast, when you have one of these feelings of like, this is too slow, too fast, I would recommend you just talk about it with the person. Like, in a nice way. Like, I don't know all the constraints you're under, but something about this seems overly bureaucratic. It seems like we could be getting this done faster. What's making this so complicated, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that could aggravate some people. But if you come at it, you know, honestly, and like, I respect that there may be something else going on here. Maybe that's like a, an interesting way to just like kind of break open the whatever a little bit, you know? Well, it goes back to the the idea of like trying to build relationships too, right? I mean, it's hard to build a relationship you can't empathize with somebody. Right on. And you can't empathize with them if you don't ask them those questions. What, are, what constraints are you under? Why is it this way? You know, do you feel like this budget thing is something you have to do or something you were told you need to do? Are you going to get fired if you don't do it? If you ask someone, you pull somebody off for something and give them like half their time to go build some little POC MVP thing, are you going to get fired? Is somebody going to get in trouble? You know, is your whole, you're going to get your hand slapped? I mean, like, yeah. you know, that's a good good point, man. I, you know. Yeah. So maybe a lot of this, I mean, maybe a lot of this is just we don't feel connected to the people we work with. We feel like we need to ask them for something. They need to get approval. They need to get a thing. And they'd ask somebody else so that we can get the thing we want. But if we feel more connected, if we felt more connected, like we were all, like it was a five-person team, and we're all sitting around a table every day, things would get done so much faster because we'd have innate trust. We would know what these systems that we were, then we would know what the constraints were because there would be fewer of them because we wouldn't have had the time to screw it up and create more complexity than it's necessary because we don't have enough people to do that. <laughs> the systems are so complex because the, the organization has become so large in a lot of instances that like they've created all this complexity just by making the organization bigger. You've said this many times. Smaller organizations can build software so much faster. Um, and it's better a lot of times, you know? I think so. Um, Anyway, so that may be, I think like segregating organizations out into smaller groups, um, like fully, like they can do everything. They can release something all the way to production. They're smaller groups. Yeah. See, you know, the way that like some organizations are structured though, it's like you have to get, you have to say what you're going to build next year so that next year you can get the money for the things you said you were going to build. You aren't really given the flexibility to change what you want to build if you commit to a thing you're expected to deliver that thing because you committed to it right yeah and that's the way that a lot of bigger companies especially are organized so you couldn't just say halfway through the year you know we were wrong i'm gonna flip it and just change and build something else you know because i mean imagine like if 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 companies allowed you to do that how much mismanagement would happen and how much people would take advantage of that you know um it's like I don't know. I mean, there has to be some kind of like I guess uh, I don't know what's the right word um, fail safes or something there to make sure that people aren't taking advantage of that. But I mean, it makes sense that it's set up in a way like that, right? I have an idea, Jeremy. Yeah, I got an idea. what you got? Right, Software. I'm just, lay I'm just lay it lay it on you. Um, Hit me. Allocate money in smaller chunks to smaller groups, not like a software team. And uh, another team that manages like the the planning and all that, like one team, isolated, smaller mm-hmm. batches of money, smaller commitments of time. That way, the blast radius is so low of you having to replan and change the change the funding. Budget budget reallocation internally happen could ha- should happen more often for this, mm-hmm. like yeah. quarterly as opposed to. Um, like uh like yearly or whatever yeah. and that way that way you could do it you could say like okay this quarter we got this team like yeah like thousands of dollars are spent not millions you know yeah 
and you you wouldn't. So have I'm, as much su- I'm just blown away, man, by the amount of money software teams cost at big companies. Like millions, millions of dollars. We spent millions of dollars. I'm like, can you imagine if you were a venture capitalist and you were giving somebody a million dollars for software? Like, uh, it's just like that's so so much money, and 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 these big corporations just treat it like it's just pennies. You know, it's insane. It's just. I don't know. It's just amazing to think about. But to your point about, um, you know, reallocating budget, I think back and I don't know if this applies, but I think back to uh, when I was waiting tables and um, I almost quit a job once because they someone ordered a steak and it was it wasn't my table. Somebody else ordered a steak and um, it was it, they wanted it medium or something and it was it came out well done. So it was overcooked and you couldn't fix it, obviously. So they were like, throw the steak away. I was like, no, I'm not throwing the steak away. <laughs> I'm like, that's so wasteful. Like, there's people out here who want steak, and you're like, who can't even afford like a piece of bread, and you're throwing a fucking twenty dollar steak away? No way, you know. Um, but later on, like after I was older, I realized like if they just let people eat the steak, people would be, quote unquote, screwing up orders all the time, uh, so that they could just get a free steak, you know. Oh well, accidentally. Oh, they 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 wanted it well. I put it in as medium, you know, and whatever. And um, you know, just so you could get a free steak, basically. So I mean, there's got to be some like way. I mean, it's an incentive, it's a disincentive to keep you from doing that, right? Throwing the steak away. Nobody eats the steak if somebody screws up the steak. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. You know, it's just an interesting. I guess the older I get, the more I realize like someone's got to put some constraints there. Yeah, I mean, this could be too like. We have this feeling, I guess, it may, I don't know if it's an American thing or what, but like this high impact, low probability stuff. I told you about mm-hmm. this before. We're like, yeah, it's hugely impactful if someone within your organization um, mishandles a cool, uh, a cool like budgeting system that allows you to move faster. If everybody right. was bad, we couldn't have anything in this in this society. Yeah. If everyone screwed everything up, we have like innate trust in a lot of different things. Stoplights. Stoplights are a trust thing. Sure. Yes, yeah. you get penalized by for for doing it. But most people don't run red lights. I mean, yeah. they maybe like jump out a little early or whatever, but like they don't like blatantly just run the red light. They've been conditioned over time. Unless you're in New Orleans and you just Well, they, yeah, then why even have lights? <laughs> um But it's like I think that we over, uh, I don't know how to put it, when things don't, when things could be a lot better, we put safeguards in place to keep people, it actually like sometimes erodes trust, you know, mm. like I, I'm just, I'm starting to have this feeling like maybe there are all these like safeguards we have for uh, things moving faster. Now I'm not talking about like, like making sure certain people don't access to like the money of the company, you know, or like, or like bank account numbers and shit like that. Like, I'm not talking about that, but like, like not everyone is going to go in and screw up your backlog in, in your, your, your process management tool. Why have you locked it down so hard? Yeah. Because one person got confused how to use it and probably because you didn't train them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, and so it's like, I, I don't, I think things could be a lot better if we open things up a little bit and 
and build a, a community where we can trust each other, like these knuckleheads were saying, where it's like self-organizing teams. The problem mm-hmm. with a lot of this stuff too was like these words have changed their meaning since these guys mm-hmm. said them. Self-organizing team. You ask 10 people what that means. They're like, well, I have a self-organizing software team. No, that's not the same thing as what they're talking about. Like, you know, it's like... uh, What are they talking? What are they talking about? Like, I mean, I guess in this instance, they are talking kind of about a, a software team, but they're also talking about like, have someone potentially from the product on your team. Work with them. Learn if you're if you're working on a stock trading application, learn how to trade stocks. Yeah. Like there was a guy. See, that that's that's that. where I feel like most agile teams, like when when you if you think back like five years ago before UX was like a big thing. Yeah. You know, design is just ignored. It's just like a software developer is going to design this interface. Right? That's how an agile team back five, ten years ago would have thought. Because nowhere in this agile manifesto does it say anything about hire a UX designer. It talks about design. It says it right there in a couple. What is a um, continuous attention to technical excellence and good design enhances agility, right? Um, good design. What does that mean? What does that mean? What it means to me is probably way different than what it means to a backend developer, right? Yeah, right. Um, good design to him is like designing systems and, you know, so it doesn't really mention anything about user interfaces and stuff. And so it ignore most people at least, they kind of like ignored it for a long time. I think now like, you know, Maybe companies like Apple and Google have have kind of introduced good interface design, um, and I think that's maybe changed the way that UX has been portrayed a little bit. But you're right. I mean, to me, a good agile team would be would include a UX designer. It would include like I because I, this is how I would approach like solving a problem: getting a developer and a designer in the same room and whiteboarding stuff, and not even really needing a mock-up. Like finding a design system that you could off the shelf, you know, like Material Design use material design components and a developer and a, and a, and a software or a UX designer could literally design on a whiteboard without ever having to open up a sketch or Figma or any design tool. You know, yeah. if a UX designer is saying like this is because the UX designer is not designing pixels. That's what a UI designer does. A lot of people confuse that, but you know, UX designers solving a problem at the end of the day. Um, and I think if you would, uh, you know, you you a designer and, a, and an engineer, product person, whoever, get in the room and like do that together. It cuts out so much waste. It makes everything so much simpler. Um, I don't know. Well, do you remember the beginning of a product we uh, recently, uh, unfortunately, uh, left um, our last big product working together, where we went into a, a break room and we drew on a whiteboard. I do. It, yeah. it was essentially what the product ended up looking like that day. Yeah. I remember. And it just, just throwing ideas together. Oh, this would look at the, oh, the concept. It's the concept. You're the producer. That's what the UX person is to me. They're the producer. They tell you if that, I don't know what it is about that sound. I can tell you, yeah. like, I, can, I can't tell you exactly which which knobs to twist to make that sound, yeah. but that is a that is a, a chocolatey sound you got going on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that Melody is gonna smooth. sell. And yeah. then the 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 engineer, the UI designer, goes in and kind of twiddles the knobs and stuff. And and then the UX person can be like, you know what, you nailed it because I yeah. I have a vision based off of what I understand about the system. You dig what I'm you dig what I'm burying? I mean, I, I like it. I, th- I like it. I like the comparison. Um, I think the problem that I have with it is only that UX teams are expected to 
explain their work a lot of times. And it's not just gut feelings, right? It's, you know, what's the data backing up this thing? Um, I, I read recently about, um, and I, actually this was something uh, Goiko uh, had in one of his blog posts or something mm-hmm. about uh, Google back in the day. This was like early design period for Google, like 2010, which is only 10 years ago. But if you think about it, Google's come quite a ways in 10 years. Um, their lead designer quit because they like tested 50 shades of blue to see which blue was the best blue to use and which got the most clicks and things like that. And everything was just very data-driven. And for this designer, it just drove him crazy because he's like, I'm the designer and I know better than you. But like in reality, UX designers should be following the data. You know, if you think a thing looks better because of whatever rules in your head uh, equate to good design does not mean it's more usable, right? It based, it, it go off your, your data. What does your data say? If you do a usability study and nine out of 10 people don't click on that thing, but you thought it was beautiful, right? it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, right? Um, Nielsen Norman Group, this is something they say, a good design is not always good UX. <laughs> good UX is not always the best design. Mm. Um, you know, blue hyperlinks with an underline are good, good UX, but it's not good design. People know what a blue underscore or underlined thing is on a website, and it means it's a link. You take the underline away, you change the color. Is it a link anymore? I don't know until I click on it or hover over it, right? So, um, or if it got, hopefully there's a hover. But, you know, those are the kinds of things that, like, good design is not always um, the best UX. You know what? Or the most beautiful design is always the best UX. Not many people have crushed one of my analogies before, but I think you did it. However, I'm going to fight one more time. One more time to see if I can get okay. this analogy to stick. Music producers, they they understand the industry, what's popular, what's yeah. trending, yeah. what are, you know, what... Based and, on the data, which based is Based on the data. Right, exactly. You're right. UX You're designers right. are producers, and I'm going to yeah. I mean, a good producer it. might say that I like this better, but it won't sell. Yes, yes, yes. I like this better, but people won't right. like it yeah. because the, yeah. the taste... Is changed. The people. These have kids changed. today with their middle parts and their baggy jeans, and their their iPhones. Middle parts. Middle parts. <laughs> and, their baggy, and their mom jeans. Oh boy. Knuckle well, that's there. honestly that's all I have for. Yeah, I for, think that's a great way agile. to end this episode. Um, I think it's a good end. Middle middle parts and mom jeans. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, I love this. Uh, I like to we, we um we'll post the link to the Agile Manifesto. I feel like a lot of people, Derek, you asked me this before. I don't remember if you asked me this when we were recording or not. Have you ever read the Agile Manifesto? And I was like, you know, uh, I haven't. <laughs> I think that's. Okay. I wonder how many UX, uh, not UX, uh, software people in general, just in you know, product UX engineering, have actually read the Agile Manifesto. I bet we'll not survey a lot. Them all. Every single one of them will survey them all. Yeah. Everybody loves surveys. And it's not that long, right? It's like just it's, a few it, it will, it takes like paragraphs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Everybody hears manifesto. They expect like, you like, know, <sighs> like the communist uh, manifesto or right, something like right, yeah. pages, like, you know, hundreds of pages. But speaking it's of literally uh, like 10 paragraphs. Speaking of communist <laughs> manifesto. Th- it's actually like 10 haikus. It's like literally yes. 10 paragraphs with three lines. <laughs> it's very, very easy to follow. The, um, <laughs> My buddy, uh, I'm not going to mention his name uh, for for the sake of, uh, I'll just call him K. K, um, okay. Yeah, Secret K. Uh, his his Twitter handle is Guitaral Marks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
which I think like is it. pretty funny. Anyway, oh, man. Uh, I I, it. that's that's it. Uh, that's it for me, man. Sounds good. That's it for me too. I'm done. Right on, it's brother. It's Friday. I gotta go to the post office. I gotta get. I'm gonna get my hair cut today. Look at this. I hey, want to show right, you. I want to show you the full Finally. majesty before it goes. I want to show you everything. We'll take pictures. Right, we'll post so. it on the. Look at that, Derek. You need a man bun. You need a Look man bun. Can you do it? Can you do me a favor? Take a picture of you in a man bun before you uh, cut it off. I want to see it. I want to see Derek in a man bun. Oh, I can. Ban- I could bun it up. I'll bun it up. Send you do a picture. It. Send me a picture. We'll post it in the show notes. All right. <laughs> Fun boy. All right, everybody. That's it for me. Um, uh, what do we got, Derek? We got stickers. We got some uh, some uh, Peak Software shit stickers. Ret- retro wait. Time Goico stickers. I'm really excited about that. Um, we got our Retro Time podcast stickers. Uh, we're shipping to Europe now. Inter- actually, internationally, not just Europe, all over the place. Oh, I'm sending some to Canada today too, Derek. <gasps> um, so we've got some. Uh, we're international, baby. Love to see it. Uh, like us wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, subscribe, write us a five-star review, and, and old uh, Mr. Sieber here, he'll write you a song. Amen. So, uh, that's it. Alright, take it easy, guys. Later. I guess anarchists would still have a manifesto, though, right? Yeah, you got a manifest.